0: glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Let's go ahead and stand if you would. I'm going to read a few texts in the New Testament first and then we're going to go back to the Old Testament to Numbers chapter 22. So Jude, for time's sake, we're just going to read verse 11 tonight, not all the verses leading to it. So Jude verse 11, the Bible says, Woe unto them. For they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. Now if you would back up just a few pages to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. These three New Testament texts are key in understanding Balaam and who he really is. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, or who he was, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 14. Speaking of the apostates, Peter writing, he says, Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam the son of Bozor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumbass speaking with man's voice, man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. That's quite a statement about Balaam. Uh, he was a mad prophet. He, what his conduct is described the Holy Spirit of God as madness. Revelation chapter 2 now, if you would. Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. And the Lord Jesus here is speaking... To the church at Pergamos through the written word. Uh, He says he knows their works, verse 13, that uh, they dwell where Satan's seat is. And he says in verse 14 to this church at Pergamos, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast them there, thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. Now, if you would, back to the book of Numbers, chapter 22. And we're just going to read. I won't read the whole chapter. We'll just read the first 14 verses, and then you can be seated. Numbers, chapter 22. We'll read the first 14 verses. It's Numbers 22, 23, and 24 that give the account of Balaam and his prophecies. Numbers 22, verse 1. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side uh, by Jordan by Jericho. And Balak the son of Zippor saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was sore afraid of of the people because they were many, and Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are round about us as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. He sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of, from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure, I shall prevail, that we may smite them." And that I may drive them out of the land. For I wot that he whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand. And they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me, and the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. And God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak the son of Zippor. King of Moab hath sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them; peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And I want us to pay very close attention to God's words to Balaam. Verse 12, And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them, thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Verse 13, And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose up, and they went unto Balak and said, Balaam refuseth to come with us. Thank you. You may be seated. I mean, let us understand that many times when it comes to ministry, Christian ministry, we get our focus very much on methodology. And I believe methods matter. Don't misunderstand. I believe God has a method for getting the gospel into all the world, and that method is preaching. And uh, and I don't mean simply preaching as I am tonight, standing behind a pulpit, but one person communicating with clarity to another person the truth of the gospel and the responsibility to respond to that truth. And then, of course, preaching to God's people for their edification. But God has given us, us methods, but many times we get focused on methodology, and I think it's for this reason you can read about Balaam and go, what was so bad about Balaam? Balaam repeatedly said, I cannot speak but the words that God puts in my mouth. I can't curse who God has blessed and I can't bless who God has cursed. I mean, Balaam, by his method and by his message, seems to be a loyal servant of God. It tells us the great depths of deception, not only that Satan is privy to, but that the heart of man is is capable of. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And as you read about Balaam, you can read the Old Testament account, and if you just read Numbers 22, 23, and 24, how many of you know by the end of chapter 24, Balaam does not curse God's people? He never does. God won't let him. Now we'll see throughout the message that statement is the key. I'm very concerned about people tonight who say something like this. Is there anything in the Bible that says, I can't, and then they fill in the blank? Is there anything in the Bible that says, I'm not allowed to, and I understand you can approach the word of God and look and say, I want to make sure, but it sounds to me when I hear that, and including if I ever hear it coming from my own thoughts and heart, if I'm saying that, I'm declaring very clearly that what I want is what I want, and I'm going to pursue what I want unless God stops me. That's dangerous. The role of the Christian is never to pursue what he wants. Our job and our role is to pursue what God wants. And the sad truth is, and I don't think I'm overstating something here, the average professing Christian is not truly pursuing in their life what God wants. And I think many times it's not because many are not, I think there are no doubt among us and among proclaimed Christianity or professing Christianity, there's no doubt many who've never been born again. But many times they have been born again, but they've come under the sway of some Balaam out there. Someone who is not a child of God, someone who's not a servant of God, but has swung tremendous amount of influence and taught the enemies of God how to deceive us, how to defile us, and how then to do great damage to us as God's people. One of the things that weighs heavy, and I'm certain I'm not speaking alone here, but on the heart of any pastor is the potential that we see God's people could reach if we would live by faith versus the potential we're not reaching. And many times the only thing that's hindering that is will, just a matter of will. And I think if we only look at Balaam's methodology and if we only look at Balaam's message on paper, it's right. It's when you get into Balaam's motive that we find a problem. I notice that Jude describes that these apostates go in the way of Cain. Right, self right, self-willed, self-seeking, self-promoting, self-serving. It's a self-centered religion. But they follow the error of Balaam. The error of Balaam was what had his heart. It is what Balaam was truly and honestly pursuing underneath the guise. He's called a prophet in 2 Peter chapter 2. Nonetheless, as a proclaimer of the word of God, his true motive was not the will of God. His true motive was something altogether Different. By the way, the true motives of our heart will always come out in the end. What is in our heart does finally become expressed in our lives. It is impossible to keep the heart concealed forever. This is why Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 that that which is done in secret will be shouted from the housetops. So if I'm praying in secret, one day everybody's going to find out I've been praying. If in secret I am pursuing something other than God, it'll come out. And that's what happens with Balaam. It almost seems to me that it takes a number of chapters, number one. If you read on through, you'll find out in Numbers 31, Balaam's dead. Chapter 25, 24, he's still living and refusing to curse God's people. By the time we get to chapter 31, he's killed in a battle as he's there with the enemies of God, the Midianites. And so let's see what we can't learn from Balaam. I think the applications are multiple here tonight, even as Christians... It'll do us well to say, am I under the influence of the man's philosophy? Am I under the influence of his thinking? I believe one of the hardest things for you and I to see as as just humans is our own motives. I believe it's very hard for us to know and understand our own motives. That's why we need a Bible. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and... Intents of the heart. What the word of God does is it slices Balaam open and shows you the intent of his heart. And in seeing Balaam, not that necessarily you'll see yourself and know you're an apostate, but you and I do not want the apostates influencing us. We're to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. And while they are influencing many, we must understand that the method that the apostate uses is he uses his knowledge of the things of God to educate the enemies of God in order to influence us towards sin. And so let us approach it from that standpoint. give you five things about Balaam tonight, and I'll try not to be long at all. I don't think it'll take us too long to do it, but I think five things that... Uh, are very clear that should bring to light who this character was and why God has so many harsh things to say about him in the New Testament. First of all, we've read Numbers 22, verses 1 through 14. I want you to consider Balaam's commission, his commission. Balaam is offered a job. He's offered a job. The Bible calls it soothsaying. Another place, it's called divination. The idea of soothsaying or divination is the idea of uh, foretelling through... In essence, witchcraft, uh, the idea of using some form of, of special power, not from God. So Balaam had the ability to to put curses, if you would, or blessings on people like a witch or a withered. It's not called prophesying in the Bible what Balaam does. They brought with them in verse 7 the rewards of divination later Balaam I believe in the book of Joshua is called Balaam the soothsayer those are all terms for people that are involved in witchcraft involved with Satan and get powers from Satan to foretell or to put curses and so forth on people and so that's that's what Balaam's involved in he's truly involved in witchcraft but he's seen like he's a prophet of God he's a very interesting character By the way, it's a good time for me to put in a plug. God's people should not be within a hundred miles of anything that smells like witchcraft. And it's something I find. I'm going to give a warning, a little caution here. I find that there is Christian literature that incorporates witchcraft terminology, soothsaying terminology, wizards, witches, friends. That's not of God to mix the holy and the vile. Well, God has nothing good to say about witchcraft. It's rebellion. Rebellion is as the sin, witchcraft is satanic, it's devilish. And so the idea of white magic or these kinds of things, it's not of the Lord. You never find anything in the Bible, nothing whatsoever in the Bible positive. In the Old Testament, Saul the rebel went to a witch. We find uh, that the kings were commanded to put the witches out of the land. In the New Testament, when people got saved, they burned their books that were based in witchcraft burned them. Uh, Acts chapter 19 I believe that is. Uh, 17, 18, 19, somewhere in there. My point is this. Here's Balaam. If you read your Bible carefully, he he was given or offered rewards of divination. Meaning, if you'll use your special supernatural powers to put a curse on these people, we'll pay you. That's, that's what the king of Moab offered to him. And so then, his commission. will give you a few things about his commission. Who was it commissioning Balaam to do this job. It's the enemies of God. It's the Moabites and the Midianites. These are people who still to this day, not that God hasn't saved some Moabites like Ruth or Midianites, but... Moabites and Midianites were people who refused the God of heaven. People rejected the God of heaven. And when they saw that the children of Israel were conquering God's enemies, they said, wait a minute, we don't want to be conquered. That's what all the enemies in the land of Canaan did as well. What solution can we come up with so we don't have the, the same fate as the Amorites? They said, well, let's get Balaam. He's got special powers. He can put a curse on them before they get to us and fight us. Why did the Moab, let me ask you this, for the Moabites and Midianites, was there any other recourse? Could they have done something else? Other than just wait to get wiped off the face of the planet by the Israelites. They could have repented. They could have said, we deserve to, Rahab did it. Rahab showed everybody else, all the other Gentiles, how you could respond and not get destroyed by Jehovah God. But no, repentance, it just amazes me. I mean, you have to forgive me if I had a rabbit trail or two tonight. It amazes me how repentance is often not on the table. Oh, I know they're going to repent. Let's do something else. The Moabites and the Midianites, some people said, why would God wipe those people out? Why wouldn't they repent? But instead, they said, how can we thwart the purpose of God? We know He's sending these people to destroy us, but we're going to outsmart God. So the people that are hiring Balaam, They're not good people. This is Balak, the king of Moab. It's the princes of the Midianites. These are wicked. The reason God's going to destroy them is because they are vile. They've worshipped idols and they've been immoral. They've broken God's natural laws, God's written laws. uh, Even though they may not have known the written, they were vile in God's sight and they're the enemies of God. That's who is hiring Balaam to do this work. Make no mistake, the enemies of God and Satan, God being God's chief enemy, he still hires people today. He still hires... You, you ever notice the tactic he tried to use with our Lord and Savior? If you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all these kingdoms. I don't believe for... for I, I don't find it hard to believe for one moment that Satan still today finds men who are willing to exchange worship for him for power on earth. No doubt about it. Spiritual wickedness in high places. There are men who've sold their soul for position in this life. The kind of men that are approaching Balaam, saying, you come work for us, we'll, Balaak says, I got a lot of money, I'll pay you well. So the people are the enemies of God, the idolaters who have rejected the God of heaven are worshiping uh, what God has made rather than him. So they're idolatrous, immoral people, the enemies of God. Their purpose is to curse people God said was to be blessed. They are opposing the very divine and eternal purpose of God. God told Abraham, He that blesseth thee I will bless, and him that curseth thee I will curse, Genesis chapter 12. He repeats that statement over and over to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, that if somebody blesses you, I'll bless them. And if they curse you, I'll curse him. You know what Balak says? Curse them. <laughs> they, are, they are opposing the divine and eternal purposes of God. So the people are the enemies of God, opposing The purpose of God and the price, the Bible says, they brought, verse 7 with them, the rewards, and that is the key to this entire message and this entire text. They said, if you will join sides with God's enemies in opposing God's purpose, we'll pay you well. I believe sometimes we, as God's people, because God has saved us, because God has purged our conscience, if we're not careful, we can be naive, spiritually speaking. It's hard for us to, if you're a sincere Christian tonight, it's hard for you to believe that someone would intentionally, purposely, actively try to get people to not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. but there are a dime a dozen. Satan hires them, I believe, all the time, and the workers of Satan hire them. May I say this? There is you know why occults uh, and, a, and cults, cults and the occult, all those things grow. You know why cults get so popular? Think about any cult. Think about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. One of the wealthiest groups of people on planet Earth. Jehovah's Witnesses, Kingdom Hall. Those at the top levels, wealthy people. You take the charismatic cults, and there are wealth, tremendous amount of earthly wealth. My point is this tonight. that There are those getting rich on the big business of working for Satan to undermine the credibility of the gospel. That's just the truth. Selling books, uh, promoting websites, taking offerings, um, promising people uh, some level of security if you'll come and give and do this kind of thing. And so this is nothing new. It's been going on for a long time. So the commission Balaam got was from wicked people with a wicked purpose and a wicked price in their hands. They said, we will pay you to intentionally do harm to the people of God. We'll pay you. You know what I believe? I believe at some level, and I don't believe that Satan, and for one moment, he is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything, and I'm not railing. I'm just telling you, according to the Bible, he does not know everything. God, is, Satan is not equal with God. Nonetheless, it seems to me that he knows his end is coming. And he is trying even still to undo the purpose of God to end his kingdom. And he's paying people to try to stop it. That's that's really what we're looking at. We're talking about a spiritual warfare where Satan and those who are under his control acting at his bidding. And I know Satan's name is not mentioned here, but Balak could very well represent him as far as a type. And so then there's a commission to Balaam. Hey, you come work for us. You work on our side. You do harm to these people. We'll pay you well. Number two, his commandments. So that's Balaam's commission in verses 1 through 7. In verses 8 through 14, we find his commandment. Uh, Balaam's principle is this. He, it's where he sounds like his methodology is right. Listen to what he says. And he's to them, Lodge here this night. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he doesn't realize who the nation of Israel is yet. Maybe he doesn't know a lot about them. But he knows who God is. The Bible says, And said to them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me. And the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. And God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent me, sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt with cover which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me, then, peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. Here is his commandment. And God said unto Balaam, Now let's think this through. This is a hard one to understand. Thou shalt not go with them. That's difficult, isn't it? Very unclear. (laughs) Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Balaam's immediate response is right. And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose up, and they went unto Balak and said, Balaam refuseth to come with us. If you have the mind of an investigator, you've already picked up on a problem. Anybody found Balaam's motive yet? He says, I wanted to go, but God won't let me. You notice that in verse 13? Get you into your land for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. You know what I hear there? If God didn't tell me no, I'd go with you in a heartbeat. I really want to. I'm just not allowed. You ever seen a child that really wants to do something? Maybe they want to go away with their friends to some place for a day. Man, they want to so bad. And they say, I want to go. And let's say they know the friends want them to do something wrong. They say, I really want to go with you. But if I try to go without my parents' permission, I'm going to get in really big trouble. So let me go ask my dad. Let me see if he'll let me go. And says, Dad, can I go to such and such place? And maybe he withholds a little bit of information so that dad will say yes. And in his heart, he's thinking, maybe dad won't see through this and will let me go because I really want to go. And dad says, no, you're not going with them. You're not going with that crowd. The boy walks out to the friends and says, I'm sorry. Dad refuses to let me go. That's what you got going on here. Balaam wants to go. And you'll see that through this entire text. In his heart, he wants to do what God told him not to do. But he's not willing to do it. God refuses to let me go. He won't do it without permission. So uh, his commandment, uh, Balaam's principle, he's going to ask God, get God's permission. God's precision. God says, thou shalt not go, thou shalt not curse them. Balaam's proclamation, can't go with you. God won't give me leave. Well, it's a right decision. You know what I think? I may be wrong. Because the Bible doesn't spell this out. But we will find that Balaam begins to get some pressure, verses 15 through 18. It's going to bring us into another point here in just a moment. He's going to get some pressure. Don't you think if the princes of Midian and the princes of Moab had understood that Balaam's answer was firm, they would have not even tried to go back? I think they probably heard the same thing we can hear. He really wants to. He just hadn't, we we just got to coax him a little more. May I say this, be careful what you want. This is one of the most sobering stories. My mind has been sobered by this all day long. As I've pondered this and meditated on it, and I've preached this and and read through it before and thought through it before, it's a very, very uh, challenging text of scripture. But it's troubling to me because Balaam is told very clearly, don't go, but by the time you get done with the text, he's gone and God let him. And I'll just keep saying this, be careful what you want. God may let you. Be careful what you want. God may let you. God will never let you sin. He will if you want to, bad enough. And don't think so. Don't think not. God's job is not to overthrow our will and make us serve Him against our will. Balaam here, his commission from a wicked people with a wicked purpose, with a wicked price, his commandment, he said, I've got a principle. I've got to ask God first. That seems good. Uh, his precision, God said, Don't go, don't curse. Balaam's proclamation won't go. Now we get into point number three, his corruption. This begins in verse 15. And Balak sent yet again princes. So he didn't take no for an answer, by the way. The devil rarely takes no for an answer the first time. He didn't take no for an answer the first time from our Lord, did he? The Lord told him no, and he tried another tactic. And the Lord told him no again, and he tried another tactic. Three times he tried on Jesus. How many times do you think he tries on us? Especially when he senses in us that we want to do what he wants us to do. If in your heart you want to do what Satan wants you to do, he's going to come back and test and tempt you again. You can be guaranteed. and That's a different message for a different time. Verse 15, And Balak sent yet again princes more and more honorable than they. Ah, I'll send more important people. You might listen to them now. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus saith Balak the son of Zippor, Let nothing I pray thee hinder thee from coming unto me. Including God telling you no. Don't let that hinder you. Verse 17, "'For I will promote thee.'" You see how satanic this is? "'I will promote thee unto very great honor, "'and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. "'Come, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people. "'And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, "'If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, "'I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God "'to do less or more. "'Now, therefore, I pray, you tarry ye also here this night, "'that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more.'" What more does he need to say? Ah, yeah, he already told him. You know what that tells them? He wants to go. He wants to go. You know what? Sometimes God gives us clear and plain prohibition of certain things in the Bible. We say, well, let me pray about it. Let me tell you something. There's some things in the Bible you don't need to pray about. You and I don't need to pray about things that God has strictly forbidden. I wonder if God's really against it. What does your Bible say? What does your Bible say? That's what's important. And if the Bible is clear, there's no need to pray about whether or not it's right or wrong. God's character has not changed. And so then Balaam said, let me ask God again. Maybe this time he'll let me go. So we come back down to the text. He says, uh, verse 20, and God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him. Now listen very carefully what God says to him. If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee thou shalt do. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. Verse 22. And God's anger was kindled because he went. If you read that too fast, it sounds like God is unfair. Didn't God say, go, if you want to go? No. He put one little stipulation in there. Very important to listen closely to the Lord, isn't it? He said, if they call thee, go. When was it in the text that they called him? But they didn't. Then why did he go? All he heard was, God's going to let me go. He didn't listen to if they call thee. I'm going to say something. I said something to somebody this week. We were, uh, and I'll try to be careful. We were talking, and somebody was seeking some counsel. And I made this statement about the issue they were counseling about. They were asking some questions. What does the Bible say about this and about this? And I said, this saddens me to say this, but I have found on this issue, whatever people want to do is what they're going to do. It doesn't matter how much Bible I give them. It doesn't matter how much I can plead with them. Whatever they want to do, I've seen it too many times. It's what they'll do. I've had people sit, and so many pastors could give the same testimony. If they've made a decision, we're going to do this. Pastor, what do you think? Well, here's what the Bible says, and what you're wanting to do is sin. Okay, we'll, we'll go ahead and do it anyway. Okay. I'll say it again. We need to be careful what we want to do. Because we'll end up doing it. What we want to do, it's why David said, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. David did not trust his own heart. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and leave me in the way everlasting. You know, out here, there, he didn't trust his own heart. He trusted God. He said, I don't trust the desires of my heart. I'm going to tell you what, Balaam's doctrine is what I call today and others call, might call Disneyology. Follow your dreams, follow your heart, and you follow your dreams unless God stops you. You pursue what you want unless God says, no, this is legalism to the hilt if you want to see it. I do what I want unless I find an express, clear-cut law forbidding it. And if you can't take me to chapter and verse telling me specifically why I can't do something, you better believe I'm going to do it. That's what a legalist really is. I, I'm, going to get, uh, I'm going to turn into a lawyer on God. I'm going to dot I's and cross T's and if they're not dotted and crossed and I'm, persu- I'm going to assume what I want is what I can do. There's a danger in that. I know of people that claim to be Christians and probably truly are born again and they've made, I know of a person right now that thinks that, I, I just look at it this way. Unless God says not to, it's okay to do what I want. Oh my, 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 my. What a, that is so unbiblical. We're to do what God wants all the time. That's the heart of Christ. I do always those things that please him. Got a question very quickly. Who is Balaam trying to please here? God or Balaam? Balaam. Was God's mind very clear? It was abundantly clear. And so we see Balaam's corruption. First of all, the corruption begins with the pressure. They come back to him and say, Balaam, Balaam, Balaam. More honorable, more princes, come. Balak wants you to come. He'll promote you to great honor. They're getting Balaam's attention. Then we see Balaam's prayer. Hey, he's a godly man. He prays before he makes decisions. Again, so sobering because it's so applicable to the day we live in. Somebody says, well, I know it's the will of God. I prayed about it. Did you wait on an answer? (laughs) Balaam prayed, got an answer, and then didn't listen to the answer God gave him. God tried stopping him. Do you know how many times God tried to stop Balaam from going with these people? First, he said, don't go. Straight up, the clearest direction Balaam could have gotten, he got at the first statement from God's mouth. But Balaam wanted to go. So then, God says, if they call you, go. It's Not quite as clear as the first statement, is it? Be careful moving from the light. God's word may not be as clear as it used to be. Direction may not be as clear as it once was. So his prayer, his pursuit, when God says, if they call thee, go, the Bible says, and Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab without anybody ever calling him. He went anyway. And that shows us his pursuit. You can see that all the way down through verse 34. For time's sake, I'm not going to read it. But if you follow through, and I think all of you here tonight are familiar enough with the story, Balaam gets on his ass and rides her down and gets into a narrow place and she crushes his foot against a wall, finally lays down in the path and won't move forward. That donkey of his had more spiritual vision than he did because there was an angel standing in the way to stop him from going. And so Balaam gets angry with his donkey and strikes the donkey. And you know the story, God gave words to that donkey to speak. Uh, amazes me, God is doing everything in His power to get Balaam's attention. And what amazes me is not so much that the donkey is talking, but Balaam talks back as though he's just in a normal conversation. Let's read a few verses for context sake. Verse 29, And Balaam said unto the ass, he's threatened to kill the, the donkey. He says, Because thou hast mocked me, I would there were a sword in mine hand, for now would I kill thee. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass upon which thou hast ridden ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever wont to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. And the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. You realize Balaam having spiritual sight was as miraculous as a donkey talking. (laughs) The Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. And the ass saw me, and turned from thee these three, these three times, from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain thee and saved her alive. And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. Great statement. For I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Meaning, I didn't sin because my way was perverse. I didn't sin because I'm running after the rewards of sin. I sinned because I didn't know you were there. What a bunch of, I mean, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be here. For I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore, if, and I've circled that in my Bible, it displeased thee, I will get me back again. It's no wonder Peter said he was mad. <laughs> Is there any question if the angel is displeased? He said, if you had kept trying, I would have killed you. Well, if if it's not right for me to go this way, and if my way is perverse, I'll go back. We ought to be able to relate to this. You, You get a sin pulling at you, you absolutely lose your mind. It doesn't matter if it's lust for some pleasure, lust for money, We're insane. Sin is insanity. Here's a man, he's got an angel withstanding him, ready to kill him, and he's not sure if he's not supposed to go that way? The angel used him the strongest language you could. Your way is perverse before me. I absolutely despise what you're doing. And what is Balaam's answer? Why even talk about it? Turn around and go back where you came from. Repent while you can. No, no. If if you don't want me going this way, if it displeased thee, What else could the angel do to show you it displeases him? Kill you? How many times has God blocked our path off from some sin, dealt with us through preaching, through friends, through our conscience, by the Spirit of God, through the Bible, and we think, well, if that's a sin, I'll stop. You with me? It shows us not only the character of an apostate, it shows us the powerful pull of sin and it's perversion of the mind. Here's a man who is drunken, if you would, on the love of money. He wants that reward so bad that he cannot see an angel withstanding him is God's mercy to stop him from certain destruction. That's he can't see it. And so then, here's this, this is one of the most sobering and sad portions of this entire text. Verse 35, And the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I shall speak unto thee, that thou shalt speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Do you realize what just happened? God says, Have your way. Go ahead. You want to go? Go ahead. You realize within a few chapters this man's going to be dead, and as far as we know from Scripture, in the flames of hell. Because when God tried to stop him, he said, No, I want to go my way. All seeming to be a prophet of God, but he never was. So we find his corruption, the pressure he came under, they pressured him come, more princes, more honorable. The prayer he made, the pursuit he had, the permission he was given. And the Bible makes it clear. We read earlier in 2 Peter 2:15 and 16 in Jude 11, what was his full-blown motivation? The Bible says he ran greedily after the reward. He was promised a paycheck if he would go do this, and that's all he could think about. Now, the paycheck may be money. The paycheck may be some pleasure in this life, but Satan always promises a paycheck. He just doesn't tell you that the final paycheck is death. Sin always has some allure attached to it, and I know I'm preaching a couple of different subjects tonight, but here's Balaam, this man being used by Satan... Ultimately, he's going to be used by Satan to do harm to the people of God. And we find his corruption and that his ultimate purpose was not as as he made it sound. He made it sound like, I want to do what God wants and I won't dare disobey God. Nonsense. When God tried repeatedly by giving him direct commandment, don't go. And then giving him another commandment, only if they call you, go. There was enough clues to Balaam for him to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God did not want him within a hundred miles of the king of Moab but he ended up going anyway. His commission, his commandment, his corruption, his purpose was not pleasing God. His purpose was getting the paycheck that came for doing what was wicked and wrong. Sin always promises a paycheck, and it always delivers. There is pleasure in sin for a season. I'm going to tell you the counterpart to Balaam is Moses. Moses counted the the treasures in Egypt, he counted them not nearly as valuable as obeying and serving Jesus Christ. And he he forfeited all of that in in, in, uh, honoring the Lord and doing what the Lord called him to do. And so Balaam's commission, Balaam's commandment, Balaam's corruption. Then we come to Balaam's counsel. Turn to Numbers 31, if you would, verse 16. Numbers chapter 31, verse 16. This is after uh, they've gone to battle and they've ended up killing Balaam. We'll get that verse here in a few minutes. But Numbers 31, verse 16, after the battle the women of Moab and the Midianite women were brought in from the battle. They weren't slain in the battle. And Moses is upset. And Moses, verse 13, and Moses of Numbers 31, verse 13, and Moses and Eleazar the priest and all the princes of the congregation went forth to meet them without the camp. These are the men who've gone to war against the Moabites, the Midianites. And Moses was wroth, verse 14, with the officers of the host, with the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, which came from the battle. And Moses said to them, have you saved all the women alive? Behold, these caused the children of Israel, notice, through the counsel of Balaam, to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. It was Balaam that taught Balak how to allure the children of Israel into immorality and idolatry. What Balaam couldn't do through a direct curse, he succeeded in doing through counsel. Counsel. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. What Satan may not be able to do through cursing you, through the counsel of the wicked, he may get it done. We say something. Any counsel that does not line up directly, specifically, and completely with this book should be thrown in the nearest garbage can. I'll say it again. Any counsel That doesn't line up with this Bible. That is is not in uh, uh, alignment with God's word should be pitched. We are prone many times to listen to the counsel of the Balaams because it's appealing to our what? Flesh. Balaam taught the king of Moab how to seduce God's people into sin. I'll say this today. God cannot bless a church that's filled with the leaven of sin. He can't against his character if you read revelation 2 and 3 he says to the churches that he's writing to this is what I uh, am pleased with in you nevertheless I have somewhat against thee and he says to the church at Ephesus unless you go back to your first love I'm going to put your candle out that's, friend that's New Testament that's the age of grace there's no church in Ephesus today the candles out it tells me they didn't repent God cannot put the blessings of grace and blessings of fruitfulness on a church that's seduced by a lying devil in a lying world. That's why he says, Be not conformed to this world. It's imperative that we don't uh, fall under this, but yet Satan's hired counselors to teach us how to sin as God's people. And so then his counsel, the recipient of his counsel was Balak, He taught Balak how to counsel God's people and to get people seduced into sin. Look, if you would, very quickly at Revelation chapter 2. It's what I've been referring to. Let's go ahead and read it. Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. I read it earlier. I'll read it again. Again, speaking to the church of Pergamos, they were in a wicked place where Satan's seat was. They had a martyr there. Someone in that church who had died for the cause of Christ. Revelation chapter 2 uh, verse 13, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because there hast there, thou hast there them that hold the doctrine, that's the teaching, the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block unto the children of Israel. To eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Uh, eating things sacrificed to idols was being complicit, if you would, with idolatry. It wasn't necessarily practicing idolatry, but putting your stamp of approval on it. You and I must stay away from every scent of idolatry in our lives. We worship one God and Him alone. And I'm reminded tonight that before the doctrine of Balaam made it into the church of Pergamos, there were some things written in Ephesians and written in 1 Corinthians to remind God's people, don't you believe a doctrine that gives you permission to do things that stirs the wrath of God? Well, let's read this again tonight, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If you have, or I have, some belief tonight that makes it okay to continue in some gross practice of immorality or some love of something other than God, that doctrine is not of God. And there's many doctrines today giving people a license in their life to have sin. You and I both know, I love 1 John 1, 9, but if you use 1 John 1, 9 as a quick eraser to sin and then sin and then sin and then sin, you've missed the purpose of 1 John 1.9. The purpose of 1 John 1.9 is not a permission slip to keep on sinning and just go confess it and God will wash you clean. You go out and sleep around, but always ask God to forgive you after you do. Friend, that's Catholicism repackaged. That's not the purpose of 1 John 1.9. The purpose of 1 John 1.9 is getting it cleansed from your life, not continuing in your life. Romans 6, 1 and 2, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That's never been the purpose. And so any doctrine that makes sin permissive, may I say this, any doctrine that lightens your attitude towards sin, listen, we need to be gracious, patient with people, but never permissive of sin. Never. May I say that again? May we be patient with sinners, but never permissive of sin. Uh, The Bible says, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. If I'm reading, I think back to years ago as a youth, I read a book and it gave me a sense of, well, there's some things in my life, but they're not as bad as I thought they were. It soothed my conscience about known sin in my life. And I look back at that book and say, I wouldn't give that to my worst enemy. It was a great disservice to me. It gave me license and permission to continue in something that God was trying to deliver me out of. And so then, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, the fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. You know what that is? Immorality and idolatry. Same two sins Balaam got the people of God involved in before. The fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. Why did he say that? Because he knew those of the doctrine of Balaam would come along. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Got a question. Is the command of Ephesians 5 verse 7 as clear as the command God gave Balaam back there in Numbers 22? Don't be a partaker. So if I have an imagination of my mind that makes engaging in that which God forbids okay even though I'm a Christian, I can know that doctrine is not of God. And I need to reject it, whether it's my own imagination coming up with it or Satan planting those thoughts or something I've read or some teacher someplace... Now the council of Balaam taught Balak, the enemy of God's people, how to cast a stumbling block, how to trip them up in their walk of righteousness and get them into idolatry and immorality. And I'm going to tell you, I'll preach it till as long as God gives me breath. This preaching that's become so popular in the books that are so popular uh, uh, that, that call any kind of separation unto God, any kind of boundary in your life, it's just being unruly and calling it grace is what it is. Not listen... Bible talks about the Lord being the ruler. He is to rule in our lives, rule in our hearts. And so uh, finally we find not only Balaam's commission, Balaam's commandment, Balaam's corruption, his counsel, but finally his condemnation. Back to Numbers 31, verse 7 says, And they warred against the Midianites as the Lord commanded Moses, and they slew all the males, and they slew the kings of Midian beside the rest of them that were slain, namely Evi." and Recham, and Zur, and Hur, and Reba, five kings of Midian, Balaam also the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. Like a little on the end. Now, quick question. Balaam ignored the warnings of God, ignored the commandment of God to chase a reward that he, I don't know if he got it or not. If he did, he never got to spend it. What we see here is the futility of his life. 1 Timothy 6, 6-10, six we'll close there in just a minute. The futility of his life. He, he pursued something. He pursued a paycheck that he never got to spend. Never got to. By the way, what, what a lesson on sin in general. But may I say this, for those are, that are the Balaams of our day, there are men who are defying and denying the Word of God, ignoring it in their lives, bypassing it, and teaching people how to disobey it. Because it's going to make them wealthy in this life. And they are. And they're going to step into eternity and lose it all. Every bit of it. The futility of his life and the fatality of his decisions are what we see. Balaam ignored the voice of God to his own peril. Now, if you would, First Timothy chapter 6. We're warned, as God's people, not to get caught up in this kind of thinking. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and the warning here is against covetousness, against idolatry, if you would, the love of money. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Look at verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith. You know, we're warned tonight of the error of Balaam. The error of Balaam. There are men who have sold out. They've sold out the truth of God's word for the paycheck of the promise of the things of this life, and there are again dime a dozen, dime a dozen men who know exactly what the Bible says, but teach people to go against it. And why? Because there's big money in appealing and writing things that give men license. What was it Balaam taught Balak to do with God's people? Get lure them into the lust of their flesh. He gave him counsel. Here's how you can destroy them. Get them into sin. Tonight, what a warning to us as Christians. Don't listen to the counsel of Balaam through the Balak of this world. We need to do what God's... We need to be an Eleazar. You can read about him there, Phinehas. These men who stood with the Lord for the Lord and rather than falling prey to the counsel of men like Balaam. And it serves as a warning. His life should serve as a warning of the folly, the futility, and the fatality of ignoring the word of God. Maybe tonight, maybe tonight, and I say this especially because of the way the Lord stirred my heart to preach this message tonight. I can't teach tonight had to preach. Maybe tonight God has been trying to tell somebody or more than somebody don't go that way. Don't go that way. We shouldn't say, Lord, if you don't want me to go this way, please stop me. That's a stupid prayer. I'm sorry, not very good grammar. That's just foolishness. If we know the mind of God, we don't have to ask Him. We don't have to say, well, is this something you don't want in my life? Let's not be like Balaam. and Let's not fall under his seduction. If there's something in my life making sin, that which I know to be sin, permissible, it's an error. Amen. Amen. We should earnestly contend for the faith. That which demonstrates the power of God through transformed lives.